Oborn and Heller on Cricket, brought to you by the Chiswick Calendar. Hello, it's Peter Oborn here in Wiltshire and the weather is simply beautiful. Hello, it's Richard Heller here in South East London. The weather is um, pleasant, if not spectacular. It's a good day to play cricket on, though. And we've got two guests today, not the usual one. And the reason is we want to discuss the demise of the Haringey Cricket College, which gave such hope and brought on so many particularly black players into English cricket in the 70s. And then all that stopped suddenly. Well, indeed, it was a great nursery for particularly for Afro- Afro-Caribbean players. I think there's nothing like it in the country, but we're going to find out more about that from one of its most distinguished alumni, Adrian Rollins. Adrian had a first-class career for Derbyshire and Northamptonshire, 128 matches, scored over 7,000 runs at an average of just under 35. With him is Julian Kahn. Julian was um, chair of um, the London Cricket College, which was Haringey's successor. And um, if we have time, we might talk about his um, grandfather as well. Uh, his <laughs> grandfather was Sir Julian Kahn, who was a, well, shall we say, a distinguished first-class cricketer in the 1930s and um, has left a considerable legacy in, in cricket. But um, welcome to you both, gentlemen. Thank you for joining us. And I might um, send down the first delivery to Adrian Rowlings. Adrian, talk to us about your early background in cricket uh, and why Haringey was so important to your development. Well, I I grew up in East London and predominantly was raised by a single-parent family. So I was raised by my mother in, in East London. And growing up, I played... When you were in East London, I grew up in Newham. And playing in Newham, you you ventured towards Essex, being on the border of Essex. So I grew up playing Essex schoolboy cricket and played for a local East End Stroke Essex club. And it got to the point where there was clearly no progress for me at Essex, although my younger brother did go on to play for Essex. So I joined the Harringay Cricket College, actually in its transition. So when I joined the Harringay Cricket College, it was in its transition from Harringay to, to London Cricket College. And I was initially training with the London Federation of Boys Clubs, which is now the National Association of Clubs for Young People at the Oval. And the cricket college trained after us. And Red Scarlet, who ran the college at the time, saw me and asked me if I'd be interested in, in joining the college. And initially I wasn't that interested, and I, but then I started training with them. And that's how the invite uh, became more solidified. So I, I knew about the cricket college because... I knew of Frankie Griffith, I knew of Mark Elaine, I knew of Key Piper, Steve Bastian, uh, Darren Foster. I knew of I knew of the college, um, but I didn't have much uh, because it was North North London and I was in East London. I didn't know enough to know how to join or how it how I could actually use it as a progression to first class cricket. So having been kind of blocked from opportunities at Essex, I I, I joined the college, but even at that point, I wasn't necessarily sure that I wanted to play first-class cricket. I was set to go to university, had successfully completed my A-levels, and I thought, okay, what I'll do is I'll, I'll delay that for a year, and I'll, I'll join the cricket college, which is what I did. And it, it turned out to be a, a, an absolutely fantastic opportunity. 
Wonderful. I mean, because you were able, weren't you, at, at the college to combine education, further education, with with developing as a cricketer, weren't you? Yes, that's right. There was there were many of the the players who who had the kind of educational side to the college as well. I didn't because I just finished my levels. I didn't fully get involved in that side. But what I did do, I did things like um, like coaching courses. I did a weightlifting leaders award. I did various awards, community sports leaders award, and and other sports related awards to keep my kind of keep my hand in studying because I also had a, a part-time job as well at the same time, because I'd taken that time out to delay deferred going to university. I worked at a sports centre um, in East London. So I combined working at a sports centre part-time with being part of the college and the studying being at the college. So it was, it was, it was a fantastic opportunity. And what many people may not realise at the college, a lot of the graduates, those who went on to play first-class cricket would come back and coach us. So it was a, a fantastic opportunity to, to meet and connect with, first-class cricketers who would then give their real insights into the game. I think Roland Butcher was one of those, wasn't he, who came back? Yeah, Roland came back. Um, I was primarily coached by Steve Bastian, Frankie Griffith, um, and even had people who may not necessarily have been at the college, but had connections with players at the college. So I remember, I recall Chris Lewis coming a few times, mm-hmm. Philip Defratis, um, just a lot of cricketers would turn up and, and lend their support. And uh, I would talk to you about... Um, the game and the, the professional approach or literally uh, bombard you with uh, heavy artillery while you're batting. So you had to learn. <laughs> Terrifying thought. You've got Phil Defratis and Chris Lewis coming down at you uh, at their peak. I mean, what you've just done there is roll, roll off the names of some of these great, terrifically talented black players who were who suddenly emerged into... English cricket in the sort of back end of the last century and which seem this seems to have dried up now doesn't it yes yeah it's um I'm not sure why it's dried. I mean the cricket college did provide the opportunity for many people and the cricket college not being there kind of took a lot of players out of the shop window I mean there were there were players who came after me there was like Carl Greenwich Gordon Greenwich son uh Ricky Anderson there were other players who came after me who who then went on to have county careers but yeah when the college ended um, it almost shut off opportunities for many people it's actually also a tragedy for English cricket as a whole yeah I mean there's no question about it the the charge against English cricket and it has this truth unfortunately is it's becoming more and more a game a first class game here for for privileged white uh, very nothing wrong with that at all I privileged white players who who have given who have given a gilded path in the game, and somehow the rest of the world is being closed out. Yeah, I, I, I think cricket has been elitist for a long time, even while I was playing. But it's it's even more difficult now. I think it's always been that way uh, because if I take if I, I mean I live in Derby, and you know there are a couple of private schools in the Derby South Derbyshire region where the facilities and all the things that they have at their disposal, a, a state school cannot compete with. So if you're going to make it through the ranks and to get an, a chance, you really have to be kind of self-sufficient, join a club. Hopefully that club has the right coaches that can help develop you and that you then have to do a lot of it is on you as opposed to having those facilities available, just making the most of what you had. I mean, the local club that I play for in East London, Stroll Ilford, um, it was a park it was on a park. The 
the park keeper cut the, the wicket probably a few days before the match started. My uncle and myself rolled the pitch before the match started and that was about as far as it went. Um, you know, it wasn't, uh, it, it was far from Lords. It wasn't flat. If it wasn't a half volley, it was probably coming neck height, especially if it had been raining because there were no covers. So it was basically uncovered pitches. So um, you had to learn to play on the back foot, which wasn't a bad thing learning that early. Yeah. I, I went to one of those privileged schools in, in South Derbyshire years and years ago. Repton School had great facilities even then for cricket. Didn't do any good for me. I have to say. <laughs> oh, Richard, it gave you a career lasting 60 years in the game. <laughs> Maybe not the first-class game. It gave you endless pleasure. Some and... different, some some levels below the first-class game, let me, yes, let me say, and getting lower all the time. <laughs> Julian Kahn, you are, there you are in Australia. Um, very kindly come to join us. And you were the chairman, were you not? I was for a while, yeah. Uh, London clubs still played for the Bertie Joel Cup, and he was a magnificent, eccentric cricket lover, almost identical to my grandfather who died before I was born. So it was a very interesting, and he, he had Bertie Joel's 11, and I used to play for Bertie Joel's 11, and we'd play charity matches. Um, his son-in-law died from a rare form of leukemia, and we raised hundreds and thousands of pounds for a charity that he set up before he died. Okay, so I used to play, and then he introduced me to Reg, because Reg used to play as well. And uh, Reg, Reg said, Scarlett. Oh, Reg Scarlett. Uh, and Reg said, um, so what are you doing now at the moment? And I said, well, I've got my business. And da, da, da. he said, yeah, but are you playing any cricket? And I said, not really. No, I used to play for the Walton Heath Heavy Rollers, God bless them. <laughs> and um, <laughs> literally, we had a, a shed for the, uh, we played on Walton Heath Golf Course, we had a shed and the first person came and opened the bar and the last person left and shut the bar. It was, it was like that, it was social cricket. Um, but, so I was introduced to the London Community Cricket Association and the London Community Cricket Association was the original funder of one of the original funders of the Harringay Cricket College. Oh. So the, the Harringay Cricket College was not the brainchild of Reg Scarlett, it was the brainchild of Bernie Grant. Does anybody remember Bernie Grant? Absolutely, yeah. Local MP. He was hated with rare virulence by the Sun and the Daily Mail. You can't imagine it. He was the absolute demon of the right-wing right press in the sort of 70s, 80s, 90s. He's a, he was colourful, he was black, he was a socialist. He hung around with um, unsavoury types who wanted to found cricket clubs. <laughs> Beautifully put. <laughs> anyway, so so Bernie and Bernie and Reg set the thing up, and and it wasn't until and it was funded by the London Community Cricket Association (LCCA), and it just so happened that we were at a reception at the Bank of England Sports Club mm. for a charity match, and. The Prime Minister was there, John Major. Oh. And Reg collared him. Good South said, London boy, keen cricketer. Carry on. Yeah. Very keen cricketer. He collared him and said, you know, we, we need, this is what we're doing. We're bringing, it's so hard for these lads to join a club because the people at the top of the club are threatened that they're going to take their place in the first 11 and they're unsavoury and they're not 
they don't, didn't go to a public school and they're this, that and the other. And John Major said, so what do you want? And Reg said, money, please. <laughs> so John Major, bless him, he organised through the lottery, the... Mm, national uh, lottery, which was set up under John Major, yeah. That's right. He organised for the college to have a certain amount of funding, but we, had, we, were, we were offered additional funding to that which we raised, matching funding. Mm. So that was my job, was to go out and get the money. That's how it all happened. So Reg said, well, you better be the, you better be the chairman because we haven't got one. Huh. So this is so interesting. You have mm. John Major, who's actually, I think, people are very rude about him, but he, he was Watch a line. South London boy. He was a uh, came from a sort of really tough working class background himself, and he and Bernie Grant are two of the sort of godfathers to this academy, which is giving a real chance to make their way in the game to young black kids from yeah. disadvantaged areas. It's yeah. So interesting, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's how it happened. And he introduced us to the chairman of the Midland Bank, and we said. We said to, you know, can we use your... Yes, you can use... So we had midweek games at that beautiful ground. I can't even remember where it was. It's in so South London again, isn't it? It's the in South I London. played there, yeah. All the backgrounds are, yeah. Adrian, you'll have played there, won't you? Yeah, I played there occasionally, yes. Yeah, and, and so these young lads were given first-class place to play cricket. It was Probably after your time, was it, that we got that ground? I'm not familiar with the ground, but um, a lot of the games that we played, because we, we ended up travelling a lot when I was at the college. Yeah, that's right. Not many people wanted to come to us, so we had to get in the minibus and, <laughs> roam, and roam the country. I want to just talk a little bit about the education as well, because the education was more about learning how to communicate and be coaches rather than just education, education. Because to be honest with you, most of the guys were not really interested in education, but they were all really interested in becoming coaches. And, you know, there are coaches even now who are in South Africa and Jamaica, uh, Nepal, you name it, there are coaches from that college who are doing good work even now. And that's, that's an incredible legacy. Yeah, that's true. There was, um, there was Dine and uh, Dine and Fakor who did a lot of coaching for the college. I mean, he was, a, he was at the college as a player, and um, he then went on to become a coach and he went to, he was in Namibia for many, many years. I um, mean, sadly, he passed away um, last year with COVID. Oh, did he? Yeah, so very, which is a very young age. But uh, yeah, he was, he went, he was part of Namibia and the, the, the kind of the progress that Namibia made in the last 10, 15 years, he played a big part in that. Yeah, was there anything, Adrian, was there anything else like Haringey Cricket Club in London, or even in the whole whole of Britain. Um, not that I know of. No, I mean I, as well as play for my local club and Essex schools, I, I play for the London Federation of Boys Clubs. But that wasn't a, a platform. That was just um, it's now National so- like Association for Clubs for Young People. But there wasn't any platform like the Cricket College. Yes, uh, MCC Young Cricket Young Cricketers. That was similar, but um, to me, that didn't seem accessible to me. Um, I didn't. I knew. I heard of it, but I didn't know anything about it. And it always felt to me that MCC Young Cricketers was particularly for like aspiring, almost like an early version of a an academy for Middlesex cricketers. I know there are other people that went through the Young Cricketers route. I know Daffy did, but it didn't seem as accessible as the Cricket College. 
Can I ask Adrian a few practical questions about the college? Um, she went to, must have gone to, I think, first in the late 1980s. Um, how, lo how long were you there? Were there formal sort of qualifications for entry or was it sort of very much by personal recommendation? And uh, in particular, practical question, how much did it cost you, if anything? Um, yeah, I didn't. Uh, I, I joined the college around 1991 oh. and I there was no there wasn't an application form that I had to fill in or anything like that to apply for the college. Not at that time because Reg approached me <laughs> while, I, while oh. I was training with a Federation of Boys Clubs and then I ended up training. But then when I eventually joined the college, there was a, like a, a contract, not, no, no final, there were, there were uh, some of the guys before me uh, were, that were paid almost like a YTS type thing, but I wasn't, and if I just signed to play for the cricket college, so there was a contract which had essentially expectations. I still got it now, mm. so it had expectations and uh, behaviour and what what was expected um, officers, players, and but there wasn't it wasn't anything that was binding. It didn't say you couldn't go and play for somebody else. I play, I still played for club cricket and all those kind of things. So there wasn't any kind of academic um, entry or or anything that. Of course, Reg would look at you and and see if there was potential for you to play professional cricket. But it wasn't just about that. It was, as Julian said, it was, you know, developing. Everyone did their coaching qualifications. Back then it was a coach award or the, <laughs> the senior award. It wasn't like level one, level two, et cetera. So there was those opportunities. And it wasn't just about developing people to become professional cricketers. It's developing people to become good people and better people, yeah. which was a yeah. big part of the college. And that's where the kind of mentorship you had from the former players that helped a lot as well because they were not just there to guide you in terms of cricket. They were just to guide you as, as young men. Which you, you probably needed. Both you and Julian have talked about Reg Scarlett, but could you both talk to him about, obviously he's a hugely formative figure there. Uh, Richard's note says here that, you know, he, he played three test matches for, um, for the West Indies in the era of Lance Gibbs. So it was pretty hard uh, as an off spinner to get in. He was a great friend of, Drinking friend of Gary Sobers. Tell tell us about uh, what I, he was. Can I, just, can I just tell you one thing about yeah. that? He played at Lords, and Gary Sobers was on ninety eight not out overnight, and could hardly make it to the wicket in the mm. morning because Reg had kept him up all night. Mm. That was the sort of man Reg was. He was so full of life, and he was he was like a big cuddly teddy bear, really, because he just. He used to embrace everybody and everybody loved him and respected him. Huge respect for Reg. Massive. Yeah. I mean, Reg was a, a big man, physically a big man yeah. and a, a big personality. And, uh, you know, Reg was, I think, honesty or, or was uh, one of his strengths. And for some of the players at the college, they might have seen it as a weakness because sometimes he would say things that you didn't necessarily want to say. And he said it in a, a manner that was um, probably typical of you know, the passion that you have in the Caribbean for for cricket and West Indies for cricket. And I mean, I've played in the Caribbean a few times myself. When people say things, they tell you quite bluntly and honestly. And, and Reg, Reg would be that sometimes, but he, he, he cared. You know, he'd give time. If you if you were to want to talk to him about your game or anything like that, he would uh, he would sit and talk to you. And, you know, he, he was very clear about what he wanted from us as either as young cricketers or as, as young men. And sometimes you've got, if you've got young young men between, say, 16 and, and 20, 21, 
who were at the college, sometimes they, they were not either mature enough to hear that or ready to hear that. So that's where you had the more senior, former kind of graduates from the college, people like Steve Bassey and Frankie, you know, who were there, Carlos Remy, who were there, and they would they would give you that that guidance that you that you needed. So yeah, it was it was a I mean Reg was Reg was larger than life. And I re, I recall being on pre-season tour to Grenada in the early 2000s with Northamptonshire. And Reg was there and he invited me to his house and uh, it was a, it was the same old Reg. So very... Uh, meet his dogs. Yeah, I met the dogs um, and they stayed in another room. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for that. Yeah, the, the, the Doberman Pincers. So uh, yeah, I, uh, I met them briefly, but I yeah, didn't, didn't want to pat them. <laughs> probably, probably was. Um, let's move on to your first class career. Um, made your debut for Derbyshire. What, um, what brought you there? Well, yeah, having played for the college, I think 92 was my, my kind of breakthrough year where we, I, I did really well because we played a lot of matches against county second teams. Mm. And I think that year for the college average, comfortably over 50. And Reg had a lot of connections with the, with the county clubs. And one he had a good connection with was Derbyshire. Oh. I mean, Frankie Griffith was there before mm. college and he was there. Can you tell us about who, what you mentioned him before, Frankie? I, it's not it's not familiar to me. Frankie Griffith, who was he? So he played he played county cricket for Derbyshire. Um, I think it's from eighty eight to ninety six. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's his his um, not defining moment because he had a good career. He was a he was an all rounder. And but one of the things that people remember for is when Derbyshire won the Benson and Hedges in nineteen ninety three. He bowled the final over, mm. uh, where against Lancashire when they needed I think ten or eleven to win, and he bowled it. And I think they I think they only got about four runs. So and, and I think he got a couple of wickets. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so Frankie was, uh, and he's from he's from London. Frankie's from East London, from Walthamstow, and um, we're actually related through uh, the father's side of the family. So which not many, not a lot of people know. But yeah, Frankie was at the at no the, relation uh, of Charlie. No, no relation <laughs> of Charlie. No. So, and um, yeah, so when I I did I put a string of performances for the cricket college together. Uh, Phil Russell contacted Reg and vice versa, and. I was sent to Derbyshire for a trial match, which was a three-day game against Worcestershire at, at Derby. And it went well. So I got, nine, I think, 99 in the first innings and 77 in the second. Uh, and, um, <laughs> a good, good start, yeah. Good start, yeah. And then the next game I got 50, and I think the game after that I got 50. So I, I Derbyshire then registered with, with the club for the rest of the... Back, that was the back end of the 92 season anyway. So I was registered with Derbyshire and signed the contract for... 1993, but I actually started playing in 92 for the second team, uh, at least about seven, eight games before, and then officially signing for 93. So I signed my contract in 92 for 93 season, but was registered with Derbyshire from 1992. Red in the first delivery you ever faced for Derbyshire in a competitive fixture was delivered by Alan Donald in a one-day yeah. game. Yeah, what, my what, was that, what, what was that like? <laughs> it was quick. That must have been quite a step up in... Uh, in pace, even with the experience you'd been gaining earlier, yeah, yeah, it was it was a big step up because in the year before I was playing for the college, but also playing club cricket and uh, taking my guard at Edgbaston, and it was it was the first day off the coloured clothing because we had the World Cup in '92, but coloured clothing and county cricket then came in in 1993, and it was the first year for that. So it was um, early April or mid to late April in in '93. I can't remember the exact date, but um, John Morris got injured during the championship match against Warwickshire and then I was called up so I was then called up from the second team to 
to play. And I batted about seven, I think. I didn't bat in the top six. And I walked out to bat and Pete Bowler, who was an excellent opening batsman for Derbyshire and Somerset, he was still there. Keith Piper, who I knew from the cricket college, uh, was standing on the edge of the 30-yard circle. (laughs) And I took my guard and I was waiting for, for Pipes to move forward, thinking, well, he's not, you know, perhaps he's just stretching. And Adam Donald actually said, well, what's going on? And I said, I'm waiting for, I'm waiting for the keeper. And he said, I'm ready. Yeah. I thought, that's not possible for someone to bowl a board to then travel 30 yards. <laughs> it, it, it did. <laughs> so the first ball went past at chest height. And, uh, and then it was like watching the Matrix. Because I watched it go past and then uh, kind of fly. It was like slow motion to the keeper. And I then thought, I think I need to get my feet moving here. So, yeah. Colour clothing, great. So it was the first week, first Sunday of colour clothing cricket, white ball, and uh, yeah, facing Alan Doyle in a, a packed house at Esbeston. And I think the most I've played in front of, apart the odd second team game, but prior to that was just in a local park. And so having gone from, you know, the best we had in that was about 200 to whatever, 20 something thousand at Esbeston was, was uh, yeah, it was a bit <laughs> overwhelming. It was, and it was, the funny thing about that was because I have extremely large feet, I've size 15 feet. And I couldn't get I couldn't get cricket boots. I couldn't. I always played in trainers, so I made my first team debut in white white trainers and uh, and fielding in trainers. I couldn't get boots. The club then got me some boots made because there was not there was no way whatsoever to get size fifteen boots. By the way, I, I we need to know how you get on. How many runs did you score in that opening uh, innings? Uh, I think I about twenty. I was quite happy with that. So off Alan Donald. Yeah, yeah. yeah so Alan Donald came off and. Um, I got out to I think Gladstone Small, so <laughs> oh, yeah, he was right. a bit past too. Yeah. Yeah, 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 he was all right. <laughs> Adrian, did you a serious question? Looking back on your career, did you ever encounter directly any? Did you ever experience any racism in any form, directly yeah. or sort of indirectly? Um, I did, but um, I I think. Prior to my career, growing up in East London, I, I was very familiar with what racism was, especially growing up in the 70s in East London and 80s. So I was familiar with it. It's, it's not as if when I went to County Cricket, I, did, I expected it to be different, but I didn't expect, I, I, I would say at Derbyshire, I, I didn't experience any um, direct racism on a consistent basis. I think there were times where people might have thought banter. There was one spell in particular where they thought, um, you know, a couple of players thought banter was the banter was funny and it, it wasn't, but that was just, I would say it was isolated, but even at that point, it was particularly unpleasant. I would say, generally speaking, there was a, a naivety around what people felt was acceptable because we were dealing with people who probably grew up when things like mind your language was on or love mm-hmm. thy neighbour. So what they thought language, that was the language they grew up, many grew up around. So they kind of thought it was acceptable, but that wasn't at Derbyshire. I mean, we had, a very diverse squad. So, you know, we had all Mortensen from Denmark. We had players from South Africa. We had players from the Caribbean. Um, we had players from all over the world, um, English-born Australians, um, such as Pete Bowler. So it was a very diverse squad. So I didn't have much within Derbyshire. In terms of, in the game, there were incidents, but particularly from the crowds playing in cert- at certain grounds, there were there were incidents, incidents and also sometimes with certain players where you where you knew their their brand of aggression was was racism, but it was I wouldn't say it was water of a duck's back, but it wasn't anything that was alien to me because I, I grew up with it. Mm. 
Were you surprised that by the you know the revelations last summer um, to do with Yorkshire and other, you know, the fact that it's still there? Did that did that surprise you at all? No, it didn't. No, no, it, it didn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me. A lot of players did have incidents of racism within their clubs because, as with the Creek College, a lot of guys play for a lot of counties. So they did experience racism. They experienced racism. It may be in the form of not necessarily direct, but it might be in the form of, I don't know, if the team's not doing well, you were the first person to be dropped. Huh. Uh, uh, although your performance wasn't necessarily any worse than anyone else. Or then if you were out the team to try and get back into the team, you'd have to get, I don't know, I, I recall one player, I won't name him from the Creek College, who he scored 200 for a county second team and then was told, well, you're not supposed to get 200, you're a bowler but he was a batting all-rounder. So, you know, it's it's things like that. And I can, going back to county cricket and my experience, prior to my avenue to county cricket through the cricket college, I went on trial myself for many, to, to many counties. So I, I wrote, was invited to Nets. And in that, my experience there was challenging where I recall going to at least two counties where they said, what do you do? And I said, I'm a batsman. And they just didn't believe me. Because you're six foot five and you're black, you cannot be a batsman. You've got to be a bowler. Do you bowl? I'll turn my arm over. Okay, so I'll be bowling for hours and then I might bat for five minutes at the end. I, I recall back, back bowling for two hours, three hours, two to three hours, bowling, bowling, bowling. And they're trying to coach me how to bowl fast, which is not, you can't coach somebody to bowl fast. I think some, in many cases, fast bowlers are born, but at least or the point where they bowl medium quick and then someone can develop them to bowl fast. But they were adamant that I was a bowler who batted when I was a batsman and I assisted and I bowled for hours and hours and hours on end and perhaps batting right at the end for five minutes. And that happened at least three counties. So you were stereotyped. Oh, so stereotyped, yeah. Yeah, massively, massively stereotyped. Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, it was, it was a massive stereotype and those three counties... <laughs> I made sure I scored runs against. <laughs> oh, oh, look up your record. We can get. You, you, we'll, yeah, we'll that, guess. That, we'll guess which ones they are. Yeah. Yeah, that may that might help. So yeah. in that regard, it's, it's more the stereotype and the expectation. You see a a big, broad-shouldered black male walk in. You must be able to bowl fast. I mean, and I that I never got that at the college. The college, it's respected what I did. I did bowl occasionally because I could bowl a little bit, but I was by no way mean was I a, a bowler in first-class cricket. I mean, I got one first-class wicket, yes. which I'm very proud of, and it was Graham Gooch. So I'm particularly proud of that. But, you know, it's oh, not he, the best one to get. He became but, your bunny, did he? Yes. Well, he did, yeah. I got him at 90-something as well, so on his way to his 120-something hundred. But, yeah, um, yeah, it was... Um, but I was no way it means a bowler. In fact, I kept wicket a lot when I was a, when I was a, a child until I got so tall that it, it kind of started to affect my back and my knees. So, yeah. You did, though. We have to keep wicket in one first-class match, didn't you? According to your record, the, the uh, may be the tallest first-class wicketkeeper in history. Said uh, yes. Said, says yeah, I made my first-class debut as wicketkeeper. That's yep. Because yeah, uh, so. there were two absentees, weren't there? The two regulars yeah. were, were absentees. Mm. Yeah, Carl Cricket was injured, and Bernie Mayer, who actually was the second team captain and coach. He got injured against Lancashire in a county championship match and broke his his toe was broken. So there wasn't anybody in staff. And I used to keep in benefit matches and testimonial matches um, just for the fun of it. And then 
um, the opportunity was presented for me to play as a keeper and it was against Worcester at Kidderminster. So I did that. I, I think I probably kept it around 10 to 15 first-class matches and, and I, I kept probably similar or more in one-day matches. Um, so, yeah, I did keep quite a bit. But, uh, a lot of the, I spent a lot of time in the physio's bench afterwards because it's a, it's a lot for a big lad to to keep. But your, your brother your brother was a wicketkeeper as well, wasn't he? I mean, yeah. a, a specialist, wasn't he, at Essex? Yeah, yeah he was, he's and, five foot nine. Oh, <laughs> What we gathered from this conversation is how important the Haringey Cricket College was to giving opportunity to particularly the black players like you. We've heard from you that basically you were stereotyped by the by the counties which you tried to try to join. So, it, it, so Julian, it, you really played a phenomenal role in giving opportunities to people who wouldn't have got them. It feels a terrible tragedy that Haringey closed down. Okay. To be brutal about it, two things happened. One is John Major lost an election and the new Minister for Sport and Art wasn't interested in funding us. So we lost half our funding straight away. Who was the Minister for Sport? Chris Smith, is it, who was the Culture Secretary in the new... Yep. Uh, I think he was more interested in, in the arts than sport. And uh, so we lost half our funding. And then, and then Reg got offered this job back in the West Indies. So he, he, he hummed and ahed and hummed and ahed and said, what happens if I go? Well, you know, and, and, and in the end, he said, look, I'm going to go, but Derek Murray's going to take over. Derek Murray, the wicket keeper. Yeah. yeah. He, he's going to take over. So he came in, Reg went off, Derek Murray came in, and then Derek Murray got offered a job in the West Indies as well. So he arms out. And to be honest with you, that is when the college really collapsed because we didn't have enough money to pay somebody decent to, to do the job. And yeah, Keith, have we mentioned Keith Waring? No. Not yet, no. no. Okay, Keith, um, Keith was in charge of the educational side of, of the college. And he was a super guy, an absolutely amazing organiser and administ administrator. And I think, Adrian, you'll agree that the, the lads really respected him. Yes, yeah, Keith was an absolutely wonderful man. Um, he had, he did, they respected him um, because I'm pretty sure he wasn't, he wasn't from London, was he, Keith? Because his accent wasn't didn't feel from London, but he was a he was from Lancashire. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And he was a wonderful guy, absolutely wonderful. He would do anything for yeah. for for the guys, and he was really dedicated and he was relentless. And uh, I think um, at the time, I mean, many of the the, the guys appreciate him. Not everyone appreciated how hard Keith worked, but he worked. He was relentless. He was. He was relent, and he but but he absolutely loved the the, the young guys, and he looked after them. He, you know, he organised all the transport. He organised, I think, he organised all the kit as well, didn't he? He, he was he was incredible. Um, but he it was his he was the liaison with the Tottenham College, Tottenham Further Education College, was it? That's right. Yeah, he was yeah. the link to the college. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 he was the liaison, and in fact, he that. He insisted that the lads attend the college for at least two sessions a week or three sessions a week because it was all part of the education, part of the commitment, 
Um, you know, you want to play cricket, well, you've got to learn to behave, you've got to learn to read, you've got to learn to do your sums, because you might be asked to bowl 15 overs, when you get to 14 overs, what, what comes next? You know, he was that, he was, that, he was brilliant. Um, so the combination of him and Reg was fantastic. And, and I, I wasn't, personally, I wasn't involved with the cricket side really at all, other than watching. And I watched a lot of cricket, I watched a lot of cricket. Um, but I had my own business to run at, at the time and, and, you know, time, time, time's tight and a young family. So it was, it was interesting. Great times. It is quite paradoxical, isn't it, um, to put it mildly, that a Conservative government goes out, a new Labour comes in, closes down the one gate, what significant gateway for really underprivileged people to make their way in county, in English cricket and gives the money instead to the opera. It uh, just um, sorry. You're bringing out a little bit of a chip in my makeup. I, <laughs> I, I, have same, I have the same chip. I have to tell you. <laughs> yes. I'd like to just explore that a little bit more about funding. As I understand it, the the funding, the, the official funding, came from the national lottery. Yes, that's uh, came right. Came by the national lottery. Well, in that case, strictly speaking, Chris Smith was, and all the culture ministers um, were at arm's length from that. It was done by. Oh. By public, by public body. Well, that's that's. I'm just saying officially. Yeah. Officially, yeah. Chris Smith should have had nothing to do with it. But also, and the other, I mean, I know Chris Smith quite well. Chris Smith was a very assiduous North London MP. He was basically the constituency neighbour, I think, of the college. Islington, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah, yeah. Islington yeah. South. He, I mean, he must have been aware of the contribution it was making to um, um, to local people. He must have had. I imagine he would have had constituents who went there. So I'm, I'm I'm sort of quite surprised, I must say, if if he was personally hostile to it. But this leads me on to a general um, a general question. Did did you, Julian, and you, Adrian, did you see evidence of actual hostility to the work that the the college was doing? Um, uh, not hostility, disdain. Ah, disdain from whom? Uh, because we were with John Major quite a lot. We, we were at test matches and we'd say hi to him and we'd meet, you know, people from the, well, cricket knobs, if you like, and uh, and we'd talk about what we were doing and they'd go, oh, that's really nice. Oh, that's so good. Oh, excellent. And then you'd say, yes, well, we're looking for more fun. Oh, no, 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 no. Cricket can look after itself. Mm. What does that mean? Cricket can, it means that they expected that the cricket bodies would fund us, but the cricket bodies wouldn't because they were busy funding their own stuff, I suppose. I don't know. It's, I never got to the bottom of that. We, we asked the Eng the ECB, I think, had just been... That's right. Just been ...founded, whatever they do. And we put, in a, we, we put a submission into the ECB and um, it was turned down anyway. Adrian, what is your perspective? Because you have a it's very interesting to have you both together. So on the one hand, we've got uh, Sir Julian's perspective as the kind of chairman. He was looking at it as management. There you are as a as a youngster who had gone through. How, how did you see the the kind of ending of Haringey and what were the reasons for it? Well, I was just, I was extremely disappointed because there were you know there were there were young people who were kind of at the college at the time that I knew who had come after me from kind of East End of London and North London and it, it impacted them and I couldn't understand how yes I knew Reg 
had, was leaving and had gone, and I knew Derek Murray had taken over. And I recall seeing a um, a program, I think it was on Sky, about about the Cricket College at that That's point right. when Derek Murray was in charge. And to me, I just thought it was a, just a travesty that how it, something like the college would just disband and disappear. And um, it almost went, it started to decline when, not decline, but the situation, because Reg, when everyone, you would talk about the Cricket College, the first name that would come up would be Reg. And so with Reg going, I think that kind of had an impact. But then obviously with Derek Murray taking over and then going as well, it just found it difficult. But just generally speaking, when it came to the Cricket College, as much impact as the Cricket College had, even if you were in Harrogate, it didn't necessarily mean that you knew the Cricket College. Not everybody knew the Cricket College because you would go and train at Tottenham, we'd go to the Selby Centre and train. And it was, you know, the facility was, I thought was more than adequate at, at the time. We had the sports hall, there was food, which everybody loved. And, <laughs> and, uh, and there was an exercise area, which, which Dave, which was run by a guy called Dave. And it was, it was really, really good. But even if you were to walk down the high street in Tottenham, not everybody would know who the Cricket College was. But if you knew cricket, you knew the Cricket College. And for me, when it was removed, I just thought it was a, it was tragic because I just thought that's lost opportunity for so many people. I would not have played county cricket. I don't think I would have played county cricket without the cricket college because I'd had my goal at trying to get my foot in the door with, you know, traveling up and down around the country to try and get my foot in the door and not being recognized. So if the cricket college wasn't there, I would not have had a career. Then there's no talk of um, actually reviving something like the, the Harringay cricket college having eliminated it 20 years ago, then I realised that it was doing an extremely valuable job. Do either of you see any, any prospect of this happening? Might there be some sort of revival? Needs somebody charismatic to front it. I, th- I can think of one person and he's in this conversation at the moment. <laughs> Adrian, what, how about it? <laughs> uh, I live in Derby. That, yeah, yeah, I'm in Derby, unless they call it the Derby Cricket College. <laughs> And move to Derby. I, I can't see them moving 150 miles out on the motorway. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, it, it'd be a great. There were there were a lot of um, guys still around doing a lot of good things. Um, I I I think it needs to return. Uh, I know there's the ACE program. I know London schools. I know uh, Daffy did some work with has done some work with London schools, and I think Michael Carby has taken over. Daffy Defray, you mean Defray? Phil Defray, yeah, Philip Defray. And uh, Michael Carberry is uh, now doing work with London schools now. But yeah, the Cricket College is quite a unique, is what well, was a very unique um, experience and unique identity and, and its purpose. Um, it, it, needs, it needs to return because I still think, especially with what's happened recently, it just magnifies the fact that there is a lack of opportunity. And of course, you can, you know, there's the, there's the kind of investigative panel, the Cindy Butts looking into with Cindy Butts leading that panel to look at what's been happening in cricket historically. But the, the Cricket College was a, a real avenue of development, either into professional sports people or just people who were involved in sport at a professional level for many people. And that avenue has been has been shut for many years. And the impact the impact to that is, is bigger than what people realise. It literally, for many of us, it gave us the opportunity in which alternatively we may it, may, it would have been a real struggle. We have, like many players who are now professional coaches, have been professional coaches for either working for Middlesex, uh, for various counties, or working in the country, in, in other countries, and that's because what the Cricket College provided them. It, it provided them opportunity, but also provided them the confidence to be able to do what, they, what, they, what they've done or are now doing. And that's, that's, that's uh, you know, that's, 
something that shouldn't be forgotten. Adrian, obviously gave you a great deal of confidence and I'm sure it helped you in your um, later career in education. We are now a deputy headmaster. Uh, tell us the name of your school and does it have a cricket team? Does it have cricket teams for boys and girls? Yeah, I'm deputy head at a school. It's, it shortens down to NUSA, NUSA, but it's Nottingham University Samworth Academy. Mm-hmm. And it's part of the Nova Education Trust. And uh, we do not have a cricket team. I've been there nearly two years. Obviously, last year with the pandemic, there, was, there wasn't any school sport. Uh, but uh, it, doesn't have, it doesn't have an artificial wicket, but I'm in the process of trying to get that changed. We do have links. I've, I'm building up links with Nottinghamshire County Cricket Club uh, through Samit Patel, who I know well. So um, I'm definitely going to be looking to bring cricket onto the... It's in the curriculum. It's delivered in PE lessons. Uh, but the funny thing about cricket in state schools is uh, is that it's one, not just the facilities, but it's even when I was at school, you're... you're your PE department, you're are not necessarily cricket experts. It's not often their first kind of sport. Uh, and so therefore, it, they're limited in terms of what they can do to kind of develop the young people's, they can develop an initial interest, but to take it further is difficult unless you've got someone who has a real cricket background. So that's why the importance of the county clubs and their grassroots uh, programs needs to be more apparent and more it just means more visible than what it is i'm currently i've recently joined derbyshire county cricket club or their cricket foundation as a trustee member and that's one of my remits to look at developing grassroots cricket to see how the county can do more within the inner city areas of derby because obviously derbyshire is a beautiful county but within the inner city parts of derby to help generate interest but also to generate the funds that would allow cricket to be played you know in a in a primary school which just has a playground and how to make that better. I must say, well, uh, we, we wish you so much success in that. I mean, what you're doing, it, its value can't be overestimated. Thank you for doing that. As a cricket lover, it's a wonderful, and, and actually somebody who cares about Britain, you know, let alone Derbyshire, it's something which is absolutely wonderful what you're doing. And, and Adrian, and I have to say, I'm sitting here listening to you, and you, you're such a credit to Reg and Keith and all the hard work that went in and um, your absolute credit, fantastic. Uh, thank you. Uh, there's not one person who's been to the Cricket College who would <laughs> forget Reg. You, you, you just couldn't. I think we've learnt just so much from this conversation. Thank you both, uh, gentlemen, for coming on because this is a subject which is at the very heart of the survival of, uh, of, of cricket in this country. And if we're going to exclude... Um, the bulk of the population from playing cricket because of uh, it's becoming a private game. That's the end of cricket in you know, a meaningful thing. So to hear your testimony has just been extraordinarily important and very moving. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, indeed. Thank you both very much, Adrian. More power to all your efforts at Derbyshire, and hope we'll see a lot of um, Derbyshire cricketers coming through in that. From that, or oh, indeed cricketers generally coming through from them. Uh, thank you for joining us again. And it's goodbye for me, Peter Oborn, on a blissful morning in Wiltshire. Goodbye for me, Richard Heller, where it's got sunnier in southeast London. <laughs>